listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonçalves. Coming up, Credit Suisse shares collapse. Are we headed for another global financial crisis? And Australia's unemployment rate falls. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 16th of March, 2023. Later, we'll take a closer look at Australia's jobless rate, which fell to 3.5%. What does it mean for official interest rates? But first, we'll start with the global banking system and Credit Suisse shares plummeted 24% in Zurich overnight, sparking fears of a potential global financial crisis. Why? I spoke earlier with RMIT's Assistant Professor of Finance, Angel Zong. Um, That's a good question, Ricardo. Uh, Many people were like, oh, they they were thinking deja vu. Um, I think we've been there before in the 2008 um, global financial crisis, triggered, for example, by um, the fall of Lehman Brothers. So this week we've seen um, the collapse of um, Silicon Valley Bank, and now we have this um, price plummeting in um, Credit Suisse. But I don't think that will be the start of a global banking crisis, crisis, because after the 2008 global um, financial crisis, internationally, um, banks have tightened their capital and liquidity positions. So banks are now well capitalized around the world. So I do not think there will be another global banking crisis that we seen uh, we have seen in 2008. Okay, let's start with Credit Suisse. So what exactly is the problem at Credit Suisse? Mm, I think there are three major reasons. The first immediate trigger is the recent retreat of one of the largest um, investors of um, Credit Suisse, which is um, Saudi National Bank, that um, it has stated that it will no longer commit any other investment in Credit Suisse. Um, That actually sparked further fear among investors and consumers of Credit Suisse. So that's the first reason. The second reason is um, due to the poor fundamentals of Credit Suisse. It hasn't been doing well. It is the sickest member in the European um, financial systems. Um, as you know, last year it re- reported an ABN, ABN loss. And um, in the fourth quarter last year, it has a customer outflow amounting to $180 billion. Um, so it has poor fundamentals and there were rumors that it was already on the brink late last year. So that's the second reason. And the third reason is due to the ripple effect of the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, which sparked fear in the global banking system. So I think these are the three major reasons. So how different or how similar are the issues that Credit Suisse is seeing with that of Swiss Valley Bank? Mm, um, they are actually very different. Um, so Silicon Valley Bank is really like a regional bank with a heavy concentration on a particular sector, which is tech sector. So um, in terms of the size and the influence of SVB, it is not an important bank, um, but even though the Fed bail it out anyway. Um, but in terms of credit risk, it is a globally systemically important bank. It is in part of the um, VIP list uh, that you uh, that you would um, put it. So um, it is the seventh largest investment bank in the world and top 50 banks in the world by its size. So it is a systematically important bank. Um, so I would say that the influence is far-reaching from um, Credit Suisse. What about Australia's banks? How are we placed in all of this? And should we be concerned? 
Mm. Uh, I don't think we need to be um, really concerned because Australian banks are really well placed to, um, I mean, go through this heavy storm. Um, APRA, um, the regulatory body, has always put stricter capital and liquidity standards compared to international banking regulations. So Australian banks are really well placed to um, go through this storm because, um, for example, uh, many Australian banks, they have to um, place um um, enough funds in the Commonwealth bond portfolio that can be quickly turned into cash. So um, we don't really have um, such concern here in Australia. And finally, wrapping it all up, uh, the main thing you've told us is that Australian banks are fine, we don't really need to be concerned, and this won't be the start of a global financial crisis. You were saying that um, the rules are, have changed, the capital requirements have changed. Still, we're seeing that really huge impact on the share market. So how do you explain to the average person um, how the change in rules since the global financial crisis will stop this from being such an issue? Mm, yes. Um, so in terms of the share market, I would say in the short run, we will see um, a lot of um, uh, price um, change, uh, a lot of changes in price and um, significant volatility in the share market. But given that banks are required to hold a significant amount of cash in their liquidity pool, that means um, when banks are in trouble after making some stupid mistakes, because of the rules in place, they have that liquidity, the short-term liquidity in place to help them to go through any storms. That's the way we would put it. Um, that's um, why I'm also optimistic that we won't be in another global banking crisis. And speaking of liquidity, uh, late in the day, Credit Suisse also received uh, another uh, $81 billion from the Swiss Central Bank too to help with liquidity. Still, the Australian share market fell today by 1.5% on the ASX 200. For more, I spoke with Chris Weston. He's the head of research at Pepperstone. Chris, Silicon Valley Bank now concerns about Credit Suisse. Is there anything that is seriously worrying you about the global banking system? Well, yeah, absolutely. The market's really worried. It's worrying me. Um, and I think the problem is, Ricardo, is, is it, there's a lot. It's a very complex issue. I mean, you, you have a lot of you've got to be deep in the weeds of being a banking analyst. We're talking about liquidity ratios. You were talking about duration mismatches, all stuff that a lot of people just don't really fully understand or have never been across. So there's a lot of questions being asked. And, and to be fair, there's not really any kind of immediate answers that are going through. And, you know, this is going to be something that the ECB and the Federal Reserve are going to have to cherry pick at the moment is, is trying to model um, a potential contagion effect, a potential, potential deposit runs, um, you know, what the knock on effects are going to be. It's very difficult to do. And I think in that situation when we can't price risk in equity markets or an asset class very well, of course, you know, the, the propensity to sell becomes that much higher. So, you know, trying to understand how this ends um, that's what we're trying to do at the moment. And unfortunately, it's not particularly clear answers and, and coming through. One of the good things is that we have just seen Credit Suisse getting, uh, being offered some liquidity, so 50 billion uh, Swiss francs of liquidity from the Swiss National Bank. It was expected, but certainly that's making it look like we're getting a, a slightly brighter open to European markets today. Can you go through how some of this is spilling out onto the markets, both equity, commodity and oil, and why the negative reaction? Well, I think oil 
is partly it's a really interesting one because it's certainly impacting the the energy stocks here locally and and the material stocks are getting impacted but there's there's a there's a supply and a demand side of that equilibrium and and from a supply perspective of course yeah we've seen uh, the international energy agency saying that there, there's you know we're going to see a surplus coming through in the crude market this year because Russia are effectively producing more than than was previously anticipated but there's also a demand this uh, situation and what's going to happen from the banks is we are going to see further regulations coming through we're going to see depositors effectively being asked to to, to pay higher prices and um, but because of the regulation that's going to come through you're going to see much more prudent lending you're going to be seeing a situation where there's going to be an economic hit to the, the high regulations and, and the more conservative nature of the banking system going forward and of course that's lowering the perception of demand so what you've therefore seen is commodity prices like copper like crude uh, like some of the base metals coming under pressure and that's weighing um, on the ASX materials energy sector today they're getting they're getting hit pretty badly there um, the Australian dollar has been pushed and pulled lately. There's also the implication on interest rates, this whole banking issues. But at the same time, we saw um, jobs data come out of Australia today. There are the implications from the US Federal Reserve as well. Is the market changing its tune as to the direction, or not necessarily the direction, of, of, of the potential pause in interest rates coming up soon? I think when it, there's two factors there. So I think there's the interest side of things. And I think the market is, is fairly con, convinced now that we're, we're done. The RBA are done here. Uh, in fact, you know, going through to the end of the year in terms of interest rate pricing, uh, they're sort of toying with the idea that we could actually get a 25 basis point cut gradually throughout the year. Um, so, yeah, the market is firmly of that belief. But I think that's the same across the world now. You know, the, the markets are pricing in um, the Fed could go on an extended pause with, with rate cuts this year and, and um, you know, some of the other central banks in that same situation. Uh, so I think really what, what's driving the Australian dollar at these levels now is just its, its, its sensitivity to what we call risk uh, proxies. Um, and as equity markets have been falling, as credit spreads have been widening, you've seen the Australian dollar you know, correlate quite nicely to that sentiment that's been coming through. So I think interest rates... Um, but play less of a factor in the Australian dollar, unless you're playing it against something like the New Zealand dollar, which is obviously very correlated to. Um, but when you're playing it against the US dollar, it's very much just a risk on, risk off kind of scenario playing through. So if equities fall, the Australian dollar is going to break through 66 cents. And I think that's kind of where we're looking at the moment. Final question. Obviously, there's been a bit of a hit to investor sentiment over the past week. What will it take for it to turn around? Well, investors seek clarity. They, they, the uncertainty is, is what causes people to hedge. It's what causes people to step away. And there's really not really buyers. And of course, it's very easy to move markets under just the, the sheer ferocity of selling we've been seeing. But I think, you know, you've seen such aggressive volatility playing through in bond markets and in interest rate markets and FX markets and also equity markets to an extent. I think you'd like to see some, some calmness coming through. Um, and I think you've got to ask yourself, where's that going to come from? It's either going to come from the banks themselves who are going to really try and go reach out to to the market that their their, their capital adequacies are, are in good place that their depositors are not going anywhere and they're not going to necessarily have to raise money on these these factors but secondly from the central banks themselves to give us that calmness that they are looking at the banking sector very very closely but not in too much of a worrying capacity if we see them pausing from rate hikes but showing a really negative tone, I think that could be quite worrying for the market. So there's a balance that needs to be to be found. But ultimately, the market wants clarity. They want answers to these situations around the banking crisis. Um, and that when, once we start getting those answers, then we can start, you know, uh, seeing a bit less volatility in the market. That is Chris Weston there from Pepperstone.
There was another important piece of economic data to come through today. That is the unemployment rate, the jobless rate for the month of February falling from 3.7 to 3.5%, more than 64,000 jobs created last month. So what does that mean for interest rates? For more, I spoke earlier with Diana Messina. She's a senior economist at AMP Capital. Well, the RBA has said recently in March that it was considering or will consider a pause because it's already done so many rate rises that it's time to consider when we don't need any more rate rises. And also the data of the past few months has disappointed. Talking about employment growth, apart from today's figures, wages growth was disappointing. There are some signs that the labour market is weakening at the margins, even though we do still have very low unemployment rate. It's hard to see the strength continuing in the labour force. So I do think that there are signs that the labour market is weakening. Along with now we have all these potential liquidity risks in markets and contagion risks in global markets that we don't know the full impacts of that could potentially lead to the Fed pausing at its March meeting And the RBA will also take that into its considerations because those financial contagion impacts from US or from Europe can hit Australia as well. And obviously they already are because they're leading to lower uh, outcomes in our equity markets. The share market has fallen over the past few days. At the same time, uh, we think that the retail sales figures for February will disappoint and that the February monthly consumer price data will also be weaker than what the consensus is expecting, and that will lead to the RBA pausing in April. Okay. Looking at the um, employment report, the jobless rate falling to 3.5%, how would you describe the labour market right now? Look, the labour market is still clearly in a very strong position. The unemployment rate is at a 48-year low. Labour market underutilisation, which is measuring the slack in the labour market, is at very low levels as well, the lowest that we've had since the early 80s. And the employment growth numbers have been volatile over the past few months. But if you look at it on a three-month average, which I think is the best guide or the best measure that you should be looking at it at the moment, given the volatility, jobs growth has only risen by 0.1% over the past few months, whereas last year it was rising at 0.3 or 0.4% every month. So we have had a slowing in jobs growth, which you would expect because We've had one and a half years of very strong outcomes in the labour market and the unemployment rate has fallen considerably. So some slowing was always in, in, in some slowing was always inevitable. And also the forward-looking indicators of the jobs market are all pointing to a further slowing, but not a crash in the jobs market. So the unemployment rate's not going to rise in a straight line upwards, but we do think that it will rise over the next 12 months. So it's currently at 3.5%. We see it going to just over 4% but on a 12-month period. Finally, uh, we saw some migration numbers come out yesterday. What role are migrants currently playing in the jobs market and what are the implications? The story around migration and uh, the arrival back of those immigrants into Australia, both short-term and permanent, is actually very important to the labour force. So the way that the ABS calculate employment and the way that they put together the employment survey, they don't actually account for people who are in Australia for less than 12 months. So uh, there were some issues around that during the pandemic when the borders were closed. Some people were saying that labour force figures looked artificially too high um, because we weren't including everyone. Whatever way you cut it, the fact that we closed our borders meant that 
the supply of labour was shrunk to just the domestic sources. We, business couldn't rely on those overseas arrivals. So we had to employ from domestic sources. So that did boost domestic employment and that did lead to this further fall in the unemployment rate. I mean, with, without the pandemic, I don't think we would have gotten the unemployment rate as low as we did. So now that migration is coming back in a pretty big way, especially for permanent long-term arrivals, those are pretty much back to where they were before the pandemic, short-term arrivals still have some way to increase. But those short-term arrivals are mainly people who come for holidays or for education. They're not necessarily the ones that are in the labour force in a big way. So with the with the arrival of migration, I think that that's another reason why employment growth will have to slow because you have a bigger supply of employees or the labour force that you can pick and choose from. So we see the unemployment rate rising over the next few months. And actually, the Reserve Bank see that as well. It's just a matter of how fast that unemployment rate will rise from here. Diana Messina there from AMP Capital. This SBS on the Money stream is provided for informational purposes only. The content in this stream should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and it does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.